Play ball! Opening day Major League Baseball across America begins today as I'll preview all the divisions, surprise teams, disappointments, over-unders, and who will be crowned champion in late October, November when it's all said and done. The Final Four tips off early Saturday evening as I'll discuss both matchups between San Diego State and FAU, followed by Miami and UConn. Can UConn continue its dominance? The NBA and NHL are in the home stretch as I'll update the latest playoff possibilities. There are two groups in line who have made a bid to purchase the Washington Commanders. Why that doesn't bode well for Lamar Jackson as his camp searches for a team to be dealt to. The final podcast of quarter number one in 2023 as I have tons to get into. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. As I look out the window, I see nothing but clear skies, not a cloud to be found, as hope springs eternal, not only for today, but throughout Major League Baseball. As I close out the month in grand style with new seasons beginning, a college basketball season concluding, sandwiched between another lap around the track for yours truly, and plenty of sports talk to get into, as I have a lot on my mind, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And yes, I'm in a celebratory mood, lot going on, lot happening. We're closing out the first quarter tomorrow, which also happens to be, one more time, another year of existence on this planet, 54. So if you're Randy White, all right, I'll throw in a Roldis Chapman because he also wore that number. Plenty of other 54s that I can't really recall off the top of my head. I think Fred Warner on the San Francisco 49ers is another one that comes to mind. So yes, so on the eve of another birthday, not only am I in good spirits, and feeling fantastic on top of just looking out the window and seeing how beautiful it is. Although it is a little chilly here in the Northeast. But with that being said, time to put that away. Because no matter how cool it may be outside, whether you're in New York or in Miami where the Mets will start their season. Or any other city that is hosting a baseball game today. Think about this. For the first time since 1968 that all baseball teams will be playing on opening day. That is disgraceful when you think about it. Because for so many years, we've had Sunday Night Baseball kick off the baseball season. And over the last few years, the season's actually started on a Thursday. Where generally, we would have the baseball season starting on a Monday. But it would be highlighted or showcased by the Sunday Night game to kick off the season. And for whatever the reason, even with the Thursday games as we've seen here over the last, I would think off the top of my mind, half decade or so. We haven't had a full slate of baseball games. Which is just... Awful when you think about it, because everybody should be playing on opening day, and that's what we have today. So we could really look ahead to not only this baseball season, but the upcoming month, as I've talked about ad infinitum when it comes to me personally, April being the best sports month of the year. But baseball is going to be front and center to kick us off. We'll get into the Final Four and everything else that's happening in sports later on, but I have to discuss what's happening in Major League Baseball as there's a few storylines that I want to get to before I break down the divisions, get into surprises, disappointments, etc. 
And as we take a look at this baseball season, the first storyline off the bat are all the rule changes that have taken place in the offseason and how it's been incorporated here in the spring as we've seen early on with the way the batter not being in the batter's box gets a strike and of course the pitch clock being a contributing factor to speeding up the game. The stats came out yesterday as all spring games were 26 minutes less as far as the elapsed game time from a year ago, or I guess they're probably looking at this from a year-to-year basis. So 26 minutes have been shaved off of baseball games during spring training, so that definitely bodes well as we raise the curtain on the season today. We have that, we have the shift, that is no longer the shift, thank goodness, because how many times have you seen and watched a baseball game over the last whatever it may be, and have what looks like it's going to be a surefire base hit up the middle, and you have the shortstop who is on the second base side of the diamond make a routine play and get the batter out at first. That is as aggravating of a play that you could watch as a fan, thinking that you're going to have a base hit, or especially when it's in the middle of a rally, and let's say you're down 4-2, and the bases are loaded, and there it is. It looks like it's going to find a hole. You're going to have a tie game, but then the shortstop makes the play and either gets the force out at second or throws it to first and ends the inning. So we have that, the pitch clock, as I mentioned, with the shift and also with the batter getting one opportunity to step out of the batter's box per plate appearance and they have eight seconds to get back in the box. All these are going to lead to a quicker game, a much more, I would think, even competitive because then you have the bases that are bigger where you may have a lot of stolen base attempts. Again, the pitcher could only throw over to first base where they have a runner on first after waiting 20 seconds on the pitch clock. So once they get their two throws over, then that's it because you'll have plenty of opportunities for teams that want to steal, whether you have a lot of speed on your team or not. But if you have the right guy there at first, it does give them an extra couple of strides to extend their lead at first to maybe swipe a bag. So you have that to look forward to. And I think the game overall could be a lot bigger and better. And for someone who's a lifelong baseball fan, I welcome this with open arms. Although I'm the type of guy that would sit in a ballpark for three and a half hours to watch a nine inning game, and that wouldn't bother me one bit. But I understand that when you're at home and you're watching Yankees Red Sox on a Sunday night and it's the top of the fifth inning and it's 10 o'clock, and the game, it looks like it's just going to end about 1.30 in the morning. So, baseball did the right thing by incorporating these rule changes. Let's see what it's going to mean for the opening part of the season as far as umpires enforcing these rules, especially when it comes to the pitch clock and with the batter stepping out of the batter's box. You would think that this past month was a good enough sample size for everybody to get adjusted and everybody to really get their spikes into the batter's box and start hacking away as opposed to just taking their time, extra swings, let's look in the stands, let me check the scoreboard, etc. So that's one thing that a lot of people, including yours truly, are looking forward to and especially when it comes to the younger fan because I think this is what it's all about. Guys like me who are already entrenched in baseball and have followed the sport for more than 45 years To me, the younger fan, and when we look at sports overall, the NFL reigns supreme, as we all know. The NBA, there's so many personalities and so many stars in the sport that the younger folk are going to gravitate to that player more so than the team. As far as hockey, unless you're a dynamo hockey fan, there aren't really many younger folks, depending on what region that you live in. But hockey isn't king throughout the entire nation. And then baseball, which is still America's pastime, but has certainly fallen, I'm not going to say on hard times, but not so good times. And now they're hoping to resuscitate not only a dying fan base, but maybe even a fan base that wasn't there that could be introduced to the sport and hopefully get some legs and some traction, not only for this year, but for years to come. So that's number one. Number two has to be Shohei Otani. We all know that he's going into a walk year and we know how unique of a player he is. We saw that not only a couple of years ago when he won an MVP. Last year, he was the runner-up to Aaron Judge in the American League MVP race. And then what we saw there during the WBC. But here's a guy, we know his exploits. We know he's a very good pitcher. Not great, very good. Had 
an excellent season last year, and we know what he could do at the plate as far as his power numbers. Average hitter? No. Not a guy that's going to hit 280, 290, even 300. He's going to have his stretches, and we know he's going to hit about 35 to 40 bombs, but he's not a guy that's going to be at the top of the leaderboard when it comes to batting titles or batting, let's say, 320, and he'll be in the race sometime in August and September with the other hitters in the American League. But put that aside, we know that coming into this walk year and the angel owner, Artie Moreno, and for everything that he's talked about wanting to get another championship, the one that goes back now 21 years, the last time they won, and him not wanting to sell the team, knowing that he's going to keep his baby. But the most important thing is, is he going to keep his star DH and pitcher in the fold for at least 10 years or maybe even beyond? And now he's really got to put his money where his mouth is because from the comments that we heard a couple of months ago that he's going to put a competitive product on the field, that he wants to win another championship. And yes, he does have Mike Trout in his big contract. Anthony Rendon, another guy who has probably played a handful of games since he signed after winning that World Series in Washington. And I understand he's had a lot of injuries, but we get it, that's part of it. But he also has to get himself on the field to produce. And then you have Otani. And if the Angels, by some chance, are 16 games behind first place in the AL West and about 9 or 10 games back in the wild card as we get to the middle of summer and the trade deadline, what is Marino going to do? We know Tani wants to play on a winner. He wants to be part of a winning culture and have some tradition. And unfortunately, Otani has not even come close to that being in Orange County there in Southern California. So as the Angels, let's just say they got off to a good start. And remember last year, I believe they started off 24-12 and 12 before they went into their nosedive. Let's say they have a similar year this year than the one they had last year. And then Otani is going to pitch well and rake all over the field throughout Major League Baseball. Who knows if he's going to be a part of the Angels come the end of the year where he's going to command at least a $500 million contract and maybe even more. So with Moreno, the Angels, and Otani, that is going to be a storyline to watch here because if I'm the owner, I would start ponying up right this second. And I get it. The season has begun. I'm sure they're not going to negotiate during the middle of the season. But he has to do something to tell his fan base that I made an effort. And no, not just a $350 or $400 million contract. That's going to have to start off with a five. And if he does put forth, let's say, 10 years, $500 million, and Otani and his camp balk at that, then at least you can wash your hands and say, hey, I gave it a shot, now we're going to have to trade him, so it's not going to fall completely on the owner. So one more time, that's going to be a story that will be developing throughout the summer. Now, if the Angels are competitive and they're in the middle of a race, and dare I say, even for a division, then all bets are off. And if Otani is going to be part of that MVP mix, then that five may end up being a six when it's all said and done. So just think about that. And that is not out of the realm of possibility. So that's number two. And number three are the usual suspects. Baseball is so top heavy and there's no competitive balance. And part of it is the system. In fact, the majority of it is the system. Let's call it as we see it. But we also have to look at how These teams that we've seen year in and year out, is there going to be a new team that's going to pop up when it comes to making the playoffs this season? Because we know in the National League, we could pretty much forecast who are the playoff teams that will be there when it's all said and done. Now, in what order? I don't know. But you know it's going to be Atlanta, maybe Philly, the Mets. And I say maybe only because they have some injuries, no Harper to start the year, and they're not going to have Ranger Suarez, who's their third starter. And you can say that for a lot of teams, I understand. But for this discussion, Atlanta, the Mets, Philly, St. Louis, LA, San Diego. Those are your six teams there. All right, we may see Milwaukee creep up there because they have very good pitching. We may see another team that could surprise people. I don't think it's going to be the Cubs. I don't think it's going to be Arizona, Colorado, San Francisco. I know a couple of years ago they won 107 games, but... 
They reverted back to their usual form last year. So to me, in the National League, that's how I'm going to look at it. And in the American League, it's a little bit more open, but we know it's going to be Houston. We know it's going to be the Yankees. Chances are it's going to be either Cleveland or Minnesota. We know the possibility of maybe even a Tampa, Toronto, Seattle out west. And when we look at last year's playoff teams in the American League, we had Yankees, we had Toronto, Cleveland, Houston, Tampa, and Seattle. And chances are, those may be the same six teams that we may see when it's all said and done. Now, as I mentioned, we may see Minnesota in there. Based on what they did this offseason, re-signing Carlos Correa certainly helped. It's also possible that we may see another team that could creep up and maybe take a stab, the Baltimore Orioles for one, that may be in the playoff mix and may snag one of those six spots as well. But when I look at baseball this upcoming year, it's not like any of the other sports where in the NBA, a team like Sacramento, who clinched last night their first playoff appearance in, what, 16 years, I believe it is. Or if you look at the NFL, where you have a team, it seems like you have three or four different teams enter the playoff fray year in and year out. Look at the Giants. They finally made it to the postseason this year for the first time in forever. So we know that in the other sports, and a lot of it, again, is the system. But for baseball, do I see a surprise team or any other team that's going to pop up and say, hey, we're going to be part of this playoff mix, whether you like it or not, and it's unexpected, and I'm sure it'll be refreshing to see? I don't see it. Sad but true. And to me, those are the storylines coming into this year because we know that the top-heavy teams, the Mets, the Braves, Dodgers, Yankees, Houston, they're going to be there once October arrives. It's some of the other teams that are on the outside looking in. Can they make a splash? Are they going to be in the thick of things July, August, where they may make a deal or a trade to try to enhance their chances of making it into the postseason? I wish I could say that there are several teams that could do that. But in baseball, it's the haves or the have-nots. And we know who the haves are, and we certainly know who the have-nots are as well. And it'd be great to see a team like Miami who has very good starting pitching, including the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner in Sandy Alcantara. It'd be great to see the young Pittsburgh Pirates that have very good, young quality, up-and-coming star players. But they may be a year or two as far as their pitching goes. So we are not going to see them come July, August, September. And you have a lot of those teams, even the Kansas City Royals, Bobby Witt Jr., and a couple of other young studs on that team. But are we going to see them in the middle of the summer competing for possibly a wild card? Chances, that's not going to be the case. So as I look at 2023 into my crystal ball, and I think about those one, two, three headlines as we dive into this, that is it. I wish I could say more. I wish I could really look at certain teams that could really pop up or teams that I think may regress as far as those upper echelon teams throughout the sport. But sadly, this is what baseball is going to present us when we have a system with no salary cap or no salary floor as well. And you're going to have a lot of teams that are going to be out of it and 30 games back come the dog days of August. All right, now let's go through these divisions. We'll start off with the American League East. I'll start with the junior circuit. I would like to start with the National League, and then I'll even give you my Met preview once I go through it all. I think it's safe to say that the most competitive divisions in baseball are from the Easts, that being the AL and NL. But I think the AL has a slighter advantage only because you did have three teams make it to the postseason last year with Yankees, Blue Jays, and Rays, and same for the NL East for that matter. But when you have the Orioles and the Red Sox lumped in with the Marlins and Nationals, who arguably are probably the worst team in baseball this year, you have to give the slight edge to the AL East. And this is one that I think it's going to be tooth and nail. And also one other thing to keep in mind, no unbalanced schedule. Because the way the schedule has been broken down throughout the course of the year, the divisions where we saw 19 matchups between, let's just say, Yankees, Blue Jays, Yankees, Orioles, Yankees, Red Sox, etc., Now it's 12 to 13 times and the schedule has everybody playing everybody. So it's not as if the AL East is going to play the NL East as far as their interleague games are concerned. 
Yes, you are going to see Mets Yankees throughout the course of the year, but the Yankees are going to play every National League team and the Mets will play every American League team. So now with the East, it is formidable to say the least. We know that the Yankees are going to be tough. I'll start there. Now their pitching is in question to go into this year. As we talked about on Monday, no Frankie Montas, no Luis Severino, as well as Carlos Rodon to start the year. So who knows if April is going to be a turbulent month for the team. They're going to have to rake in order to, I would think, at least for the first month, stay competitive in the division. But I think when the season progresses, and remember, the Yankees got off to that 51 and I think it was 18 start last year. And then there were 61 and 23 before the bottom fell out. And yes, they did have a very good year. Yes, they did go to the postseason and went to the ALCS before getting swept by the Astros. So I think the Yankees are going to be fine. I also think the same for the Blue Jays. As last year, they got a good taste of what it's like to play in a regular season where the year before they fell a game or two short of making the playoffs. And then last year, they lost in embarrassing fashion to Toronto. They had that 8-1 lead, I believe, going into the seventh inning before it all imploded. And with the moves that the Blue Jays have made this offseason, and I'm sure they're going to be primed and ready with their young core, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, almost said Dante Bichette, his father. And guys like that where they could now have that experience under their belt, knows what it takes to maybe get to the next level. And let's see what the Blue Jays could do this year. The Rays, we know they're resourceful with their starting pitching, arguably the best pitching in the sport. Forget about the division, but we know they're going to be from hunger when it comes to offense other than the wonder kid, Wanda Franco. Yes, Brandon Lau had a bad year or a down year for him. And you have guys like Manuel Margot and Yandy Diaz, but not a lineup that you're going to be shaking in your boots whenever you're going to face them on a day-in, day-out basis. We know the wild cards are the Red Sox as they try to piece it together with their rough offseason, letting Xander Bogarts go, and even though they resigned Rafael Devers, but with these small moves like Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin, and even though they bring in the Japanese kid, uh, Matsusaka Yoshida, as well as a guy like Justin Turner. Who knows? Maybe they could stay in the race in the middle of the summer. And then the Orioles, who had a rough start, but a very good conclusion. And they have prospects abound, whether it's behind the plate with Adley Rutschman and then Gunnar Henderson, the third baseman, who I believe is going to start the team or start off the year with the team. Those are five teams that could probably be in the mix here when it comes to the playoffs, but... As competitive as it is, I think it's going to be top-heavy where it's going to be Yankees, Rays, and Jays maybe coming out and being a part of the playoffs. Baltimore and Boston are a wild card and not know what to expect. I think Baltimore will have a better year than Boston, but it'll probably be neck and neck. And a lot of that's also going to depend on what Chris Sale does as far as his recovery and trying to have any semblance of his Cy Young self in the past. The AL Central, a little bit unknown after... The Guardians, because the Guardians, as we've seen and how they performed last year, they have very good starting pitching, as we know. Now, Tristan McKenzie is going to start off the year on the IL, so that's going to be a bit of a hit. They have a very good bullpen as well, led by Emmanuel Classe. But the Guardians, they do not have a big-time lineup. I know they brought in Josh Bell in the offseason from the Padres, so that's going to add another stick to the lineup to go along with Jose Ramirez, who is a perennial MVP candidate. They're hoping for some big moments from Oscar Gonzalez, a guy that could be a thumper in the middle of that lineup, and let's see what he could do. But when we look at the rest of the division, I know the White Sox were supposed to be that team that were going to compete, considering that they made it to the playoffs, not only in the COVID year, but also in 2021. Last year, I don't know what the hell happened, as they really took a nosedive and played really below and underachieved throughout the course of the year. But you would think that even with a guy like Jose Abreu, who's now in Houston, who was a big part of that team, and now the identity of that team still could be with their pitching as they have good pitchers. Lucas Giolito, let's see if Michael Kopech can make a bounce back and a comeback from Tommy John surgery. He's a guy that has been highly touted going back to his days of Boston prior to the Chris Sale trade. And guys like that, that could maybe take a step above and maybe even be a part of the division as well as the wild card race throughout the season. The Twins, as we talked about Correa earlier, they have some decent pitching as well, bringing in Pablo Lopez, but they did trade Luis Arias to to Miami. 
and he was the defending AL batting champ. But the Twins, as much as they've played well in the past, and they have a very decent lineup, but I don't know if they're going to be a team that can overachieve and get back to their winning ways of 2020 and 2021, etc. And then you have the Royals and the Tigers. Now, the Tigers also have some decent prospects that are waiting in the wings and have actually played last year in a guy like Spencer Torkelson. But with Miguel Cabrera being in the highlight, or I should say in the twilight of his career, and even with Javi Baez not having a good first year in Detroit, I don't know if it's going to be all put together to where maybe they could be competitive for the first part of this year. And the same for the Royals, as they have very good young players, led by, as I mentioned earlier, Bobby Wood Jr. But that's a team that has Zach Greinke as your number one starter. And we know Greinke has come full circle, being a part of the Royals last year as a team that he came up with when he was a young stud back in the early 2000s. That's how long he's been playing. I believe 2004 was his first year. And here it is, almost 20 years later, still in Major League Baseball, as he's now the elder statesman and, of course, the veteran of that team. So with those two teams, who knows what you're going to expect, but I don't expect much when it comes to the Central. I think it's going to be Guardians, maybe Twins, and we'll see what the White Sox do as far as the division. Out West, the Astros, no Jose Altuve for a couple of months. And then you have scenarios with Michael Brantley, who's not going to start off the team or start off the year with the team. Jordan Alvarez, who did not perform a lot during the course of the spring training and their exhibition season. But we know that they're the defending champs. They have a very good rotation. And I would think Seattle's going to be their other competition and maybe their only competition in that division because, as we talked about with the Angels before, and Shohei Otani, that being a huge story. Let's see how that plays out throughout the course of the year. And then after that, the Texas Rangers, I don't know what to expect from them. We know they made some big moves two off-seasons ago, bringing in both Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. And then this year, they brought in some pitching, led by Jacob deGrom, as well as Nathan Eovaldi, to see if they could push them at least into some respectability and maybe into a race out in the AL West, where if the Astros maybe take a step or two back, get off to a slow start, who knows what's going to happen there with Seattle. You'd think they would come flying out of the gate with all the success they had last year and a lot of juice and a lot of momentum heading into this year. But Texas, maybe they're laying in the weeds. Maybe they're looking at this as nobody's counting on us to perform. And with the health of Jacob DeGrom, who got up to a slow start here throughout spring training, but now is able to ramp it up and he'll toe the rubber today against the Philadelphia Phillies, a team that he knows well from his days in the NL East. But the... Rangers and then the Oakland A's you can forget about who knows where they're going to end up in their future we know Oakland is probably not going to be in that city for much longer as well as over the course of the next few years so that's a team that we're not going to really pay attention to but the AL West has some intriguing stories and storylines when it comes to what the Angels may do Seattle taking that leap Houston will they take a step back and Texas being a wild card as a team who knows what to expect, even with the imports of DeGrom and Eovaldi. As far as the National League in the East, we know it's going to come down to three teams there, Atlanta, New York, and the Phillies. Now, we talked about the Phillies not having Harper there, probably until the All-Star break, maybe sooner, and their rotation's taking a little bit of a hit with their third starter. Besides that, they did bring in a closer in a guy like Gregory Soto from Detroit. And with the way that the Phillies, as they'll be the defending National League champions this year, so a lot to be expected from them. And we know they have a lineup that is probably top to bottom, the best in the sport. That includes the Yankees, that includes the Astros. Now, we get it, Harper's not going to be there for the first part of the season. But when you have Trey Turner leading off, Kyle Schwarber, I understand no Reese Hoskins, as he's done for the year, but then you still have JT Real Muto, you still have Nick Castellanos, who's going to look to bounce back from last year. Alec Baum, who is glove is not really that good, but we know he has a very good stick. And then when you bring in Harper, which would kind of be like a midseason trade, that lineup could stack up against anyone. But they're pitching with Aaron Nola, I believe, is going to be a free agent at the end of the year with Zach Wheeler, as well as their bullpen as they've tried to make that a top-notch and formidable in its own right to go along with the Mets and the Braves in that division to compete. For the NL East, the Braves, we know they're stacked as long as they're healthy and they have a lot of good position players, as we know, from 
Ronald Acuna Jr. to Austin Riley to Matt Olson to Ozzy Albies. Go on down the list. And their rotation, you would think Mike Soroka will finally come back after a couple of years being on the shelf with injuries to go along with guys like Spencer Strider, Max Freed, etc. And I think they're going to be a tough out here, not only throughout the regular season, but even into October. The Mets, I'll say for the end, I'll go to Miami and Washington. I don't expect the Nationals to do anything. And think about this. The Nationals, just four years ago, won a World Series. There are two players left from that team. Victor Robles, the center fielder, and Steven Strasburg, who again is going to start the season on the 60-day IL. Talk about a contract. And they had to pay either he or Rendon after that World Series championship. And not that Rendon's been on the field, as I talked about earlier, but Strasburg has maybe pitched four or five starts since 2020. That's all you need to know about his health. And sadly, a guy that was a number one pick overall who had tons of potential and has shown flashes throughout the course of his major league career. And thankfully, he got his day in the sun, not only winning a World Series, but being an MVP of the World Series. But we could safely say that the best days of Steven Strasburg are behind him. You have to call it like you see it. But the Nationals are going to have a good team in the future and they have a lot of young players, a lot of young studs from trades that they made in the past, whether it was with the Dodgers and the Max Scherzer deal, and of course last year with the Juan Soto trade. They're going to be a team that's on the rise in the middle of the 2020s and beyond. But as of right now, this year, they are going to be putrid. And the Marlins, can they get any hitting to go along with that pitching? Because we know they have very good pitching and a very good bullpen, again, led by Sandy Alcantara. And they did bring in Luis Arias to go along with Jazz Chisholm at the top of that lineup, which is very good. But where are your thumpers? And we're going to see them today as a Met fan right off the bat to see what Miami's going to be able to do as to avoid the 2-1, 3-2 type of games, which I'm sure they're going to hope for on their first-year coach and first-time coach, Skip Schumacher. The NL Central, I think it's going to be the Cardinals again, and why not? Now, the Cardinals didn't really do a lot this offseason, but because the division is so bad, and I understand the Brewers, they're going to give them some pressure, and I think that could be a two-team race, but between the Pirates, who have good young players and some pitchers that are coming up the pike, I talked about that earlier. The Reds, Hunter Green is going to be the one guy everybody's going to focus in on as far as that young flamethrowing stud, but an aging Joey Votto and not much else. There's nothing really to discuss with what's going to happen there in the Queen City. And then the Cubs, although they've made some moves, Dansby Swanson, a guy like Cody Bellinger is looking to see if he can regain his MVP footing from a few years ago with the Dodgers. You also have Trey Mancini, who's also part of the mixed day in Chicago. And although the pitching isn't great, but the Cubs, they could be a team that could be a surprise. Not necessarily a team that could be in the postseason, but who knows? Maybe they can make some hay. And with those players who have had very good track records and good pass on other teams, they know they have a lot to prove in their next stop of their baseball journey. And let's see what they do in the Windy City as they try to gain some respectability as far as not only just in the division, but throughout the league on a whole. But I think it's going to be Cardinals, Brewers. We know they have the good pitching. Can Christian Yelich regain his MVP form? That's going to be much needed for a Brewer team who has not really hit well over the last few years, especially these last couple, as Yelich is, I hate to say it like this, he's fallen off a cliff offensively, but he had a very good offseason as far as his training, readjusted his diet a little bit, and has been looking forward to this year to kind of prove to everybody that he's still that top player in the National League and could be a threat there, not only for the Brewers, but also for the NL Central. And let's see what the Brewers do there. And see if they can maybe steal the NL Central crown from the Cardinals, who seems like they've been able to do so year in and year out. And mind you, they're not going to have Yadier Molina, as we know, Albert Pujols, exit stage right, and Adam Wainwright, who is going to be out for quite some time with a groin. It's going to be all on Jack Flaherty to be that guy, to be the ace of that staff with Wainwright, who is, I believe this is going to be his last year. What is he, 41 years old? So the Cardinals... Yes, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle with their young skipper, Oliver Marmol, but we know that they're resourceful. We know that they'll have to bring in a piece or two if need be. Just look at last year with Jose Quintana. And now let's see what happens there in that division where you would think it's going to be a two-team race. And then out west, you have the Dodgers who have a lot to answer to because 
last year with 111 wins and losing in the division series to the Padres, their nemesis down the turnpike and not making a lot of offseason moves. Trey Turner goes to Philly. Justin Turner goes to Boston. Clayton Kershaw already re-ups for one year, but they don't have their starter in a one Walker Bueller as he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. Yes, Julio Urias, who's probably going to be up for a Cy Young this year, but I believe he's a free agent after this year, so he's going to command big money. The Dodgers are a team that for the first time in a long time, yes, they're going to be the favorites in the division, but they're not going to be overwhelming. And maybe throughout the league overall. Because they have taken some hits on that team, not only just this past offseason, but just getting beat up by people like myself, knowing that they won 111 games and couldn't even get to a league championship series. This is on the heels of them not winning the year before. And although you have to count it and it's legit, but winning in a COVID year where they played 60 games and won a World Series against Tampa on a neutral site. The Padres, we know they're all in. Xander Bogarts, it's been a game of chess with that team having to move players all over the field from Jake Cronenworth to Fernando Tatis to Juan Soto. And with everything that they've done this offseason, Xander Bogart's now your shortstop. Let's see if they can piece it together. Also, extending Manny Machado, 11 years, $350 million. The time is now. The Padres, they got to an NLCS last year. Yes, they did lose in five to the Phillies, but now they have to take that next step. And let's see if they do so. This is a big year for this organization and even a bigger year for Fernando Tatis Jr., Remember, he still has to serve about 25 to 30 more games left on that PED suspension from last year. He's got to shake off all of the just bad taste of the injuries, the suspension, and re-image himself and get his reputation back to where he is electrifying one of the top players in the sport and not a guy who is just going to be based on potential and has a big contract ahead of him at what is he, 23, 24 years of age? So talk about something to prove. If there's a guy that's going to have a chip on his shoulder coming into this year out of anybody in baseball, it's that guy. So let's see what he does. The Giants, I know they had to piecemeal it themselves. Michael Conforto coming in, Mitch Haniger. We know that their staff is led by Logan Webb. There's no way that they're going to replicate or even come close to what they did two years ago winning 107 games and unfortunately had to go up against the Dodgers in the division series before losing in five and heartbreaking five not only to a rival but how they ended their season in the ninth inning losing 2-1 to their longtime heated rivals but the Giants they could be that team that could surprise people or it could be a team that may be trading off pieces come the trade deadline and not that they have a lot of veterans on the team, but they have guys like Alex Cobb and Anthony DiScalfani, guys that maybe another team could poach come the trade deadline that they're looking for a fourth or fifth starter or reliever or someone like that. Now their pitching is solid, not spectacular, although Webb can be spectacular. He's going to be a big reason why the Giants will have a good year. And not to say it's going to be all on him, but their offense, not necessarily great. They are a Punch and Judy type of team. Not a lot of big-time boppers. We know Brandon Crawford, the elder statesman of that team, and has been there pretty much the last remaining piece from those World Series teams. But the Giants, again, they could be an either-or type team. As for Arizona, they could be an up-and-coming team with the likes of Corbin Carroll, who signed that eight-year, $111 million deal as the future face of this franchise to go along with Ketel Marte. Their rotation of Zach Gallen with the aging Madison Bumgartner. They added a couple of pieces in the bullpen. Also Merrill Kelly, can't forget him, who started that WBC final against Japan. Who knows? Arizona could be that team that could sneak up on people and maybe do something. But as we all know, over the last few years, they're building to get to this moment. They have not really been able to be competitive out in that NL West. And we all know it's pretty tough with the top-heavy Dodgers and Padres there, but... They're a wild card going into the season as a team that may be on the rise, but it's going to take maybe a year or two before they get there to the point where they may be competitive and fight for a playoff spot. And then you have Colorado. That's all I could say there. Now, they do have some decent pitching there, as we know. 
their everyday lineup. Chris Bryan is a guy that hasn't been the same ever since he left Chicago and is a guy that hoping that he can regain his form from many years ago. And it's not that long ago that he was a dominant player until the injuries started to get to him, which is the sad part because we all know when Chris Bryan came up, he won a Rookie of the Year in 2015 and then he won an MVP the following year on top of winning a World Series. And you thought that he was on a trajectory to possibly maybe having a Hall of Fame type career and although he's had good years since, but the last couple of years, you could pretty much just throw it in the toilet because he has not played well and has not been that steadying guy in the lineup that you could count day in and day out that's going to give you 30, 35 homers, 110, 115 RBIs, bat 280, 290, and be a force in the lineup that we've seen in his early days in Chicago. Because besides that, yes, we know Charlie Blackman's there. I know they brought in Mike Moustakas here just a couple of weeks ago as they try to see what they could get out of him. Also, Jerickson Profar is a guy that we've seen over the years, last year in San Diego. Randall Grychuk, also with his days in Toronto and also St. Louis, a guy that has a decent stick. But these are all retreads. These are guys that are just looking to either hang on or get another shot. So when you have a team like that, was built with players that have bounced around and been journeyman type performance here over the course of their careers yeah you may catch lightning in a bottle but chances are it's going to be a season where they may go 68-94 as far as my surprise teams it's kind of hard because as I mentioned earlier you have so many teams that are already good and then you have those teams that are meddling in the middle that could be good but may not be good and then you have the bad teams so I'm just going to throw two teams at you one in each league And we'll take it from there. I know a lot of people have picked Arizona to be that team that could be a surprise. And what I mean by surprise, maybe they win 80 games. They're not going to challenge for a postseason berth. But I'm going to pick Arizona as a team. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon to see what they can do. Now, competitive division, but again, they're not going to play the Padres and Dodgers 19 times each throughout the course of the year. So that's going to at least bode well for them. But I'm going to look at them as a surprise in the National League. And then in the American League. I'm going to say Kansas City. Only because they have the young players. As I mentioned earlier. Now they have minimal to no pitching. I talked about Zach Greinke. But then they have guys like Ryan Yarborough. Who's a retread from Tampa. Although he's a very good pitcher. You know I got to give it up. But still. You know it's not a guy that's going to. Shake the boots of opposing lineups. That's for sure. And then you have Aroldis Chapman to see what last legs you're going to get from him as he's, I would think, probably going to be your closer. But besides Bobby Witt Jr., as we all know, he's the crowning jewel of that organization at the moment. But there's a guy that you got to look out for, Vinny Pascantino, who's got some pop, who's got some power. Maybe he and Bobby Witt could be threats in that lineup. And that goes along with Salvador Perez, the longtime catcher there, won a World Series, the last remaining piece from that 2015 team that beat the Mets. So maybe you get those three guys, Hunter Dozier, guys who's been around baseball as we know, and only because of those young players, and I'm not going to say that they're going to win 75, 80 games, but maybe their lineup surprises people, maybe they get off to a decent start, because any of the other teams, of course I'm not picking Oakland, Texas is not going to be a surprise team, because based on who they brought in as far as pitchers are concerned, and then Baltimore is not a surprise based on what we saw toward the latter part of last year, so... That's what you got there for surprises. Now, disappointments, that could go a bunch of different directions. And I'm not saying this to be a reverse jinx or to be cynical before opening pitch this year. And if you're wondering, hey, Jay Reels, what happened to your Mets preview? I think the Mets could be a disappointing team this year. I really, truly believe that. And here's why. You don't have your closer. We all know that scenario from the WBC. And that is huge. Think back 15 years ago, Mets fans, when you had a very good lineup, David Wright, Carlos Beltran, Carlos Delgado, and had a very good year. But if you remember the month of September when your closer was Luis Ayala and you literally had guys coming off the street, coming off the waiver wire, the scrap heap to try to put these games to bed to win those games down the stretch. And even you go to the year before, now mind you, they didn't have much of a closer issue then, but 2008, 2008 was the big one with Scott Schoenweiss. There's another guy. That was just as rough to watch down the stretch. And the Mets are going to have that same type of scenario here. Are you going to really put all your chips to the middle of the table for David Robertson? 
Are you going to do the same for Adam Adovino, who had a very good year last year? But is he going to be able to duplicate that? You know, relievers from one year to the next, they can be high in the sky, and then before you know it, they're going to bottom out. And then they're counting on both Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander to carry this rotation to and through October. Both of these guys are 40 and 39. I believe Verlander's 40, and Max is going to be 39 this year. These guys have so much mileage on them that how can you even expect for them to pitch 28, 29 starts, let alone 32, 33? The wild card to this rotation to me is going to be Kodai Senga. Because David Peterson, yeah, he's going to chip in. He's going to be fine. Carlos Carrasco, though he won, what, 13, 14 games last year? But Carrasco, he's hit or miss if you ask me. I'm sorry. And Senga, not many people are going to know about him. Of course, they're going to have a lot of different scouting reports and what to watch for, the ghost fork pitch. I get it. But he's going to be the wild card of this rotation. We know Jose Quintana may be out for the whole year because of that rib injury that he had to get surgery on. And can... Justin Verlander come close to what he did last year, 18-4 with a 175 ERA at 39 years of age? I highly doubt that. And Scherzer, the last time we saw him pitch, he got knocked around City Field to where he gave up seven runs, four home runs, and four and two-thirds innings. And I don't want to hear he had an injury toward the end of the year. If he's out there pitching, he's pitching. No excuses. And in the Met lineup, yes, it's good, but there's not a lot of depth there. So if Pete Alonso goes down, not that you expect him to because he played almost every game last year. Same for Lindor for that matter. But we saw what happened with Starling Marte as he was a big part of that lineup and he was missed for that last month. And yes, he did perform in the playoffs, had a couple of hits, but he's a guy that we got to watch out for injuries throughout the course of the year. And you can say that about anybody, I get it. But this Met team... To me, I get it. Their number is what, 95 and a half or 94 and a half is their number this year? And they may go over that. They got 101 last year. We're pretty much the same team minus Diaz. Remember that. So I could really see them being a disappointment. What I mean by disappointment, 85, 86 wins and not making the postseason. I could see that. And maybe the Brewers overtaking them for a wild card. And that's what you have there. And in the American League, disappointment. Maybe Seattle, and the only reason why I say that, they have good young pitching, I get that, but maybe they read all the press clippings and a lot of the pressure for them to perform, and they get off to a slow start and do not play well, and next thing you know, they're going to be scuffling in August, September to try to make it to the postseason, and let's say even if they do, they'll make it to the playoffs, All right, maybe they win the wild card round like they did last year, and then they get the brakes beaten off of them in October to the point where... They're just left gasping for air. And even though it was successful, but it should have been a lot better than what coming into the season, what was expected of them. So I'm going to look at Seattle as that team to maybe be a disappointment. That's not to say that the Mets or the Mariners are just going to fall flat on their faces. But when we talk about disappointments, teams that had super high expectations and falling well below that. As far as my World Series pick goes, it's a weird one. I'm picking Dodgers Blue Jays. And the reason why I'm picking the Blue Jays, I think they're on the come up. I think they're going to have a big year. And they may even win a division. But I think last year, that's going to fuel them. The way they lost that game against Seattle, that game two, where they had an 8-1 lead. And I understand they got a lot of young players. And even though George Springer's a guy that has the World Series ring and the veteran leadership, but he has to stay healthy too. He's another guy that's always injured. But I think Toronto is going to be that team that's going to take that leap, that next step, and get themselves to a World Series and win over the Dodgers because I think the Dodgers, they're going to have a season where they're going to not be the Dodgers that we've once seen. And I think once they get to the playoffs, they may even be, dare I say, overlooked for the aforementioned Padres, maybe even the Mets to a certain degree, the Braves. It's almost like they are going to fly under the radar. Now, how can the Dodgers fly under the radar? Of course, they're a team that's one of the top franchises in the sport, but they're going to come down from 111 wins, maybe to the upper 90s, and there's probably not going to be a lot of fanfare this year because no Walker Bueller to probably sometime in the summer, and yes, they're probably going to play well because they have still all-star talent in many positions, whether it's Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, just to mention those two, Urias is going to be a very good pitcher. They're still going to be a very good team. 
But I think a lot of people, although they may look to the Dodgers to get to a World Series from a lot of the preseason prognostications, but I could see them being a team that they will never creep up on anybody, but before you know it, they're going to be the last team standing in the National League and you're going to be like, wow, here are the Dodgers. They were able to not breeze through, but get through the NL and here they are in the World Series. And I'm going to pick Toronto though to win it all, their first title since the last one they won 30 years ago in 1993. That is my baseball preview, people. I know I could go on for probably another hour and here we are 50 minutes in or 50 plus minutes in and I still haven't gotten to the other sports. So I'm going to take them by chunks. I'm going to get to the final four now. As we all know, Saturday, we had the two games. The first one being San Diego State and FAU. The second one, Miami and UConn. And we know all the storylines heading into this. We know the three teams making it to the final four for the first time in school's history. We know UConn trying to get back to and win a title since they did back in 2014 under Kevin Ollie. So we have that. And how I look at the way this weekend is going to match up. As I said on Monday, it's not a sexy final four. It's the antithesis of last year when you had Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, and Duke. I mean, you can't get any better than that. And then now this year, you have these schools that are there. And all I can say is this. It is unsexy, yes. And you're only hoping for competitive games. I'm not expecting classics. It's been, by far, an excellent tournament to date. But now, they have to take it to another level. And how they perform here, and how they even come close to an encore is going to be impossible. Or at least next to it. The first game, San Diego State and FAU... I know that it's going to be a backyard brawl. San Diego State, we know that they have a lot of physicality and play very good defense. I know you're going to look at a couple of the players on their team that you're going to rely on and one, Darion Trammell, as well as Lamont Butler. But for FAU and what they've been able to do, led by Elijah Martin and Brian Greenlee, of course, you got to think about the center there, the Russian kid, Vladimir Golden. I can see FAU pulling it out, although I could see this being... One of those 56-54 type games, similar to what we saw there between Creighton and San Diego State there on Sunday. And then as far as Miami and UConn, we know UConn and what they've done here to date. They just steamrolled through this tournament. But now, they're going to probably get one of these next two games, they're going to have a nail-biter. And Miami, they're not going to be afraid of this moment. They know they belong They were a team that made it to the regional final last year before losing to Kansas, and now they've arrived to this stage. Now, is it going to be too big for them? We're going to have to wait and find out come, what, 8.49 on Saturday night? But I'm sure they're relishing the fact that they're here. I'm sure they're going to look at this as a great opportunity to get themselves to the championship game. And wouldn't it be something that if they go up against FAU, because those two schools are separated by 50 miles in the South Florida region of the state, Boca Raton to Coral Gables, I think that would be fascinating. I know it wouldn't be fascinating for the networks. I'm sure the network would probably want FAU and UConn because FAU and Miami, yes, maybe for that territory, it'll be on and popping, but for the rest of the nation, they're going to probably watch something else. And I get it's a Monday night. Maybe they could watch some baseball and not much else. But I think with Miami and UConn, it's either going to be Another blowout by the Huskies, or I think it could come down to the wire. And this is where either the Huskies could get tight, maybe even the coach Danny Hurley could, because Jim Laranega, who's now been to his second Final Four, I'm sure they're going to play fast and loose. And as we saw there on Sunday, to where they were down by 14 points, and they came back and won the game going away by seven. Now, granted, they went going away late. But for Miami and what they've done so far in this tournament, I'm sure they're going to look the Huskies dead in the eye and go toe-to-toe with them. Even if they're trailing, whether it be early in the game or sometime in the second half, I could see them turning on the Jets and making themselves competitive to the point where in the final couple of minutes, it's either a one-possession game or they're trailing or leading or even tied for that matter. And we're going to see who's going to move on to the championship game. And we'll recap this all on Monday as I'll preview the championship game. I just hope that the games are competitive. I hope that they're... I'm not going to say close to what we've witnessed so far in the tournament. I just hope they're not duds. All right, to keep the high tops on, I'm going to go through the NBA as well as the NHL. And just a note on the NFL before we wrap up. As for the NBA, interesting week here coming up because we have five or six games left on the schedule. 
And Kevin Durant is now back in the fold. Had his first home game as a member of the Suns last night. Had 16-8 and and a win over the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves, as we know, they're fighting for that 7-8 spot there. As well as the 6 as they're a game behind the Golden State Warriors. But with the Lakers winning in Chicago yesterday, they are nip and tuck there in that 7-8 spot. So that's going to be interesting because let's just say for argument's sake, at the end of the day, either the T-Wolves, who I believe the Lakers and Timberwolves play tomorrow night, So that's going to be a very telling game to see who may have the home court in the playing scenario. So that's something we'll keep an eye on. But you have that, and let's see what Durant does now as he gets some traction here over the last four, five, six games as they get primed for a postseason and maybe even an NBA Finals run. So that's something we got to keep in mind. Also with the Celtics, a big few days here. If there's going to be any last-ditch effort for them to get the number one seed in the East, they must win tonight in Milwaukee as they're three games behind the Bucks in the conference for the top seed. There's Milwaukee has been up there for, I believe, the last, what, two, three weeks. So we'll see what happens tonight. And then the Celtics play in Philadelphia on Tuesday, which obviously we'll have a podcast before then. But that's going to be big because they're two games ahead of the Sixers right now for the second seed in the conference. And as I talked about the other day, it's important to get that two seed because you do not want to have to go on the road to play a seventh game possibly in Philadelphia and then may have to do so again in Milwaukee the following round if it happens to go that way. So those are a couple of storylines to keep in mind as we head into the weekend. And the West, as we all know, it's a log jam as we talked about with the playing scenario as well as the five, six seeds. And in the East, it's pretty much been status quo. I know that the... Sexiness of the West with the Lakers there, as well as the T-Wolves with all the expectations they had going into this year with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, who's now back in the mix after that long layoff with the calf strain. That's a little bit more intriguing in that conference than it is in the East when you have teams like the Hawks, Raptors, Bulls. I get Miami Heat, they're there, the seven seed, but we would think that even if they match up against those teams, that they would fare well and move on to play in the postseason when it actually begins there the, I think, two weekends from this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. So we got that to look forward to, of course. That's your NBA, NHL. Huge game in Colorado last night where the Minnesota Wild prevailed winning 4-2 to two, and they were a point behind the avalanche, that is, from the Wild for the top spot there in the Central Now, mind you, they were a point ahead of even Dallas for that matter because they both had 94 points coming into that matchup and the Wild were at 95. But by them winning that game in Colorado, they now have a three-point advantage over the Stars and Avalanche as we hit the home stretch here over the last seven, eight games. Both Dallas and Colorado have eight games left as well as, well, Minnesota now just played their 75th, so they do have a game in hand with them. And as far as the rest of the sport, one race you're going to have to look at too the Rangers and Devils, and they do play tonight. And I think it's in New Jersey, now the Garden. If the Rangers win, they'll go into a flat-footed tie with the Devils. And it'll be interesting because whomever gets the two-seed in the Metropolitan will have the home ice against that other team. So if the Devils win, they'll have a four-point advantage and they'll face the Rangers in the playoffs, most likely as the home team. But if the Rangers do win and overtake the Devils, then the Rangers will have the home ice. So that's something we'll have to pay attention to there. Other than that, the wild card races are pretty much the same. I know that the Golden Knights and the Kings out in the Pacific, they're still separated by two points, Edmonton by three. So that's one that we're going to have to pay attention to as we head on here down the stretch. And then the wild card, real quick, Winnipeg has a two-point advantage over the Calgary Flames, a three-point advantage over Nashville, and then Seattle has a three-point advantage over Winnipeg as the number one wild card in the conference. And then the Islanders won a big game yesterday, winning in Washington. So now they have a five-point lead, even though the Penguins have two games in hand. Five-point lead over the Penguins, 87 to 82 points. And then you have the Panthers, who are just a point behind the Penguins, as they try to see if they could get in however they can with all the expectations they had going in as a President Trophy winner last year and bringing in Matthew Kachuk and the culture with a new coach, Paul Maurice. And they certainly underachieved. So let's see if they can make a late push to overtake the Penguins to get that final seed or the final wild card there in the East. That's what I have with the hockey. Lastly, with the football, there are two groups that are making a bid for the Washington Commanders. As we know, they're for sale. And they could be, get ready for this, 
sold for a price tag of nearly $6 billion. Now, I believe the stadium also is a part of that. And we also know that the stadium is antiquated, even though it's been around 25, 26 years. It seats 80,000, but on top of that, it doesn't have the amenities. It's in the middle of Landover, Maryland, which is outside of the D.C. area. Not far. It's actually near the old Capitol Center, I believe, where, remember the, at the time, the Bullets, as well as the Washington Capitals played their games before they moved to other buildings, as we know now in the D.C. Capitol. But for the Commanders, that the rumor has it that these two groups, one by the New Jersey Devils owner, and I want to say Magic Johnson is a part of that, or he may be part of the second bid, or the second group that's going up for this $6 million bid. Now the thing is, even if the word has gotten out that these two groups are going to battle it out to see who will be the next owner in line for the Commanders, With rumors coming out that the sale could be closed as early as the NFL draft next month, that hurts the prospects of the commanders getting Lamar Jackson. Because there's no way that Daniel Snyder is going to make this trade to then leave it to the next ownership group to have to deal with giving up two first-round picks as well as a $200 million guarantee to start, you would think, to Jackson And even as slimy and as grimy and as just hated that he is throughout the landscape of whether it's the NFL or sports in general, how so many people want him out based on all of the alleged rumblings of what's taken place behind closed doors there over the last decade or even dozen years. I don't even think Snyder would stoop that low to try to trade for Jackson and then leave it up to the next group to have to pay and then not only that, lose two first round picks in the process but to go back to Jackson we talked about this on Monday and even the previous week he has but two or three teams that he could go to the Jets and we know they're going after Aaron Rodgers the commanders who are right up the street from Baltimore but again ownership is in flux and then maybe Indianapolis who has the fourth pick and they can pick a quarterback but there's also rumors about maybe even him going to the Colts And I even mentioned New England, but there's no way that Belichick's going to fork over the two picks and $200 million in the process, considering they underpaid Tom Brady all those years. Granted, they won championships, but there's no way that whatever Lamar Jackson's going to want, that Belichick and Robert Kraft are just going to sign over a blank check and away we go. So what does this mean for Lamar Jackson? He may have to sign that franchise tag, or he's going to become Le'Veon Bell 2.0. Because... I don't see him going to the Jets unless there's a fallout between the negotiations from the Packers and the Jets with Joe Douglas and company or he just has to stay put. And sadly for him, that's all there is to it. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. As I mentioned at the very top, I celebrate another year, another lap around the track tomorrow. It's going to be pretty much a relatively quiet day. Do some things here and there. The weather hopefully will hold up until the evening. I know it's supposed to rain. But I'll talk a little bit about that on Mondays. I try to get open and maybe a little bit personal when it comes to yours truly. I know it's just strictly sports. Say sometimes I go down the stay present, look forward to your future, make sure everything is all right in your world, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, I have to, as the host, share a little bit. Maybe I don't have to share it, but I want to only because how else are you going to get to know yours truly, your favorite little podcast host, if I don't? at least share some of the things that's going on in my life and in particular a birthday which we should all celebrate because as long as we're alive and breathing on this beautiful big giant blue ball of this earth we should at least exhale and pat ourselves on the back a little bit to say all right it's another year what can we reflect on what can we make and do better personally for us for your friends family your circle etc that's what I look at when I approach a birthday or get to a birthday again which is going to be tomorrow so I will share a little tidbit or two come Monday's podcast but there's a lot to get into obviously the baseball final four which will have a national champion ship that night anything and everything else that's happening with the NBA NHL as they conclude their seasons and one more time as I always like to say in closing thank you to the listener for stopping by for trusting in me as your source for all the sauce in the world of sports 
I do not take it for granted. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on all available platforms. As you well know, throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, you can do us with the following on YouTube at J Reels, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com for any questions, comments, suggestions. Feel free to hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you can do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to this production, upkeep of the website, the equipment to make this experience into this microphone through your earbuds and speakers that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, entertaining, informative, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay. That's right. Rhyming may not be my game, but talking sports is definitely what it's all about here, because if you weren't able to feel or hear, listen to the fire, passion, fury, energy with nothing but thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praises on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full e from the South Bronx to South East to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>